We remain standing this day to celebrate Jesus' gospel. It comes to us from the fourth gospel or on this fourth Sunday in the Easter season, John chapter 10. Jesus has just completed the narrative where he tells his disciples, I am the good shepherd. Continuing in verse 22. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around Jesus and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will, be snatched, will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you're seated, our children are dismissed for their time and experience of worship. As the rest of us bow together and pray. We pray, O God, believing that you know our prayers before they're uttered, we still pray to form in our minds and with our words our deepest desire to unite with you. We pray that the entirety of this service and not just the sermon would be a way that your voice is heard and our ears attuned to that which is sacred and beautiful of you, O God. So, uh, take the words, take the minds that wander, and use them to speak your word to us this day. In the name of the living word, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. A couple had been married almost 50 years when the husband realized one day that his wife's hearing apparently was going bad. He would speak to her and she didn't seem to respond. So he took the opportunity one day when he saw that she had her back to him to try a little experiment. He said, honey, there was no response. The second time a little louder, honey, no response. The third time he got up right next to her ear and said, honey, can you hear me? She said, for goodness sakes, I can hear you for the third time. What is it you want? (laughs) It's tempting to assume that poor communication is due to the other person's inability to hear. But we don't all hear the same things. The fact of the matter is we come from different worlds, different orientations, and have had different life experiences Barbara Kingsolver, in her novel, Flight Patterns, tells the story of a baby playing with a little toy phone, a little plastic phone that she was dragging around like a a pool toy, 
receiver in her hand, the cord, the big bulky body of it at the bottom. She rolled it around the floor and then began to use the receiver as kind of a hammer, banging it on the table. The grandmother looked at her granddaughter and said, that child has lots of ideas of what to do with the phone, everything but talk in it. The mother looked at the child and looked at the toy and realized this toy doesn't resemble anything like a phone that has existed in this child's lifetime. For her, phones live in pockets and purses. Phones don't have cords or dials. We live and experience life differently. And so that day, as Jesus tells his disciples, I'm the good shepherd, and then as he strolls through the portico of Solomon... Of all days, on the day of the celebration of the uh, dedication, when, when uh, the temple was being rededicated, what we now know as Hanukkah, highly symbolic day. A day not unlike Monday, when of all days and in all places, on Patriot's Day, a bomb is detonated. Two bombs are detonated. It's on that day that John tells us that the Jews gather round Jesus. My friend Mark Goldstein is often quick to remind me that the Pharisees and Sadducees and Sanhedrin of the day comprised but a tiny percent, a tiny percent of all the Jews of that day. So let's be careful what we mean, he said. Really what John means is the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders They gather around Jesus in a rather threatening way and say to him, tell us plainly, if you are the Messiah, a word that is politically and religiously loaded, they're impatient. They want to know clearly and unequivocally if this one who has come and now seems to pose a threat to their authority, to those who follow them, to the whole agenda of the temple. It's being called into question. They want to know, so they will know how to react. It is a fundamental struggle between control and compassion, between those who live by rules and those who live by relationships, between those who try to seek authority and those who try to act out of love. These religious leaders are stuck in a system like people with a phone made out of a big body and a cord and a receiver with a dial. It doesn't relate to the world we live in now. So Jesus says to them, I have told you, but you don't believe. Now he hasn't, in fact, told them explicitly. The only time that he has said, I am Messiah, or alluded to this, is in John 4, where he talks to a woman on a mountainside in Samaria. But what he says is this. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. They're the answer to your question. You want to know the answer to the question, am I the Messiah? Water to wine. Feed the 5,000 with bread and fish. Raise someone from the dead. Am I Messiah? 
I'm here to tell you. Not that God wants to do a new political agenda. But rather God is coming in liberation and love to give new life, new birth to this whole enterprise of living as human beings. And what I notice about the signs, that's what John calls them, signs. What I notice about these signs, water to wine, feeding the multitude with a small amount of bread and fish, raising someone from the dead, each one of these signs are tangible. They're tactile. They have to do with touch and taste and smell because they have to do with life and connecting to the human need because they're about liberation and renewal and love. My sheep hear my voice. They're attuned to the sacred. When God appears in this world, they get it. They notice it. And I think Jesus says this to these religious leaders not in a defensive way or an accusatory way. I think he says it with a lot of compassion and invitation. My sheep, hear my voice. You're not hearing it? It's an invitation to be part of the work of love. To have this ear for the sacred, which has nothing to do with lofty ideas or religious one-upmanship. It's not about hearing and responding to facts and figures and rules, but it's connecting and hearing who God is and who we are together. Together. We're one. We felt that on Monday when we heard the news of the bombing. We felt it later in the week when we heard the news of the explosion in West Texas. We recognized that We are one. I love ideas. I love words. You probably know that I get paid by the number of words I say on a Sunday, which is why I kind of go on and on. But the Christian message isn't oriented around words and ideas. It is oriented to flesh and blood. To touch. To healing. To liberation. The gospel has to do with incarnation, with with crucifixion, with being raised from the dead. The proof is not in words. It's not in logic. It is rather in the living and in the loving that God is revealed. The old chorus we sang as kids, they'll know we are Christians by our love, not by our logic. Logic's good. But they'll know we're Christians by our love. My sheep hear my voice. They're attuned to this. And I give them eternal life. And it can't be lost. There's not a repo man who's going to come and take back this eternal life. It cannot be rescinded or retracted. Sadly for many, though, eternal life has been reduced to simply a mental ascent. A get-out-of-hell ticket that you cash in at the end of your life, when really eternal life is about being attuned to the sacred voice, to walking in the way of God, responding to the shepherd and doing these acts of justice and mercy and self-giving. My sheep know my voice. 
They know the difference between people acting with integrity and those who do not. They know the difference between those who would plant a bomb and run and those who would hear the bomb and run toward the accident. They know the difference. They know the difference between political leaders who cast votes based on convenience and coercion and those who cast votes out of conviction. You can feel it. You can know it. You can, it's it's the voice of the shepherd. So how do we respond? The children of the religious leaders, and we are among these in this world today, the children of the religious leaders will say, we need more rules. We need more security. We need more condemnation. We need more ultimatums. We need more guns. Whereas children of the shepherd, the fold of the sheep, just like those first responders on Monday, are attuned to the sacred, and they run into the melee. They lay their life on the line because they believe. They've been caught up in the big story that says love never fails. They can live in that hope that even if their life might be compromised or even taken, they're playing the long game. Love never fails. This morning, as I wrapped up my sermon notes, I flipped over to email, and I should never do this right before Sunday morning, but opened an email that was sent to me from a former church member. Her, she was the church organist where I served before. A decade or so older than me, she's well into her retirement years. Only her retirement years have been surrounded by the new responsibility that she got some 15 years ago to raise her grandchildren. Her daughter has fought and lost and fought and lost the battle with drugs and once again is back out into the madness. The babies she's raised are now teenagers. That has its own challenges, amen? She received a phone call early this morning that her daughter was at the hospital. Something in her stomach had ruptured, and she was in very serious condition. And my friend wrote to me, I cannot even get up the energy or the will, certainly not the desire, to go down there and even see her. I get that. I've walked with a number of you who have lived with parents or children, close friends who have struggled with addiction and you've tried again and again and again and again and at some point you run out of gas. It was my high honor to write back to her and say, you'll hear the shepherd's voice and you're going to know what to do. You're not going to feel like it, but you will go down and see your daughter. You can't rescue her, you can't Make it right, but you can tell her that you're beside her and that you hold her before God. I know she'll do that. Why? 
because her heart is attuned to the shepherd. And when the shepherd calls, you go, even when you don't feel like going. Scott Poole is an Oregon distance runner who after Monday's bombing wrote a poem entitled To Run, a prayer for Boston. I heard it on NPR earlier in the week. It says, to run is to rise above the weak spirit, is to take on pain, is to push pain in the chest with both palms, stumbling over garbage, gravel, fragments of life, is to say, I will take you on in the street. Every breath of mine is a battering ram, shoving, crushing, swinging a hammer of air. I am a body of fast-moving blood, inhaling you, taking you in like a tank. I will consume your hate. I will run straight into you as if you were a finish line of joy, picking up the fallen along the way, and you will never stop me. You will never stop me. My sheep hear my voice. They know me. I love the story of Tabitha, Dorcas. We honor her with a window in our sanctuary. Not because she was Messiah, but she was a sheep in the fold and heard the shepherd's voice. And when widows needed clothing, she made them clothing so that at her death, the widows grieved mightily. Peter raised her from the dead. We remember her, though. Not because she lived forever, she died again. Not because we have those tunics or cloths or clothing that she made. We remember her and celebrate her because she was attuned to the voice of the sacred. She heard the call. And she believed that good things, God things, never end. I give them eternal life. They'll never lose it. I think that's some of what Jesus meant when he said, The Father and I are one. Martin Luther wrote in that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. God's kingdom is forever. Our capital campaign consultant, John Hewitt, told a story to a group of folks on Thursday night that happened to him when he was a young boy. His father owned a gas station. He had mortgaged his house over against the gas station. Those were tough times in the 60s to be uh, a gas station owner. And so the person who had lent him the money to buy the gas station seized the opportunity when he got behind on his payments to come and foreclose not only on the gas station, but on their home. They had to move out of their home. John said he remembers hating that man. Many years later, John was being interviewed for a job at a Christian school. 
He was led into a room, and as the door closed, he looked up and realized that the interviewer was the man who had repossessed the gas station and their home. And he wondered to himself, do you think I could get away with murder right here? And there's only two of us. As they sat down, the man asked him, do you know who I am? I know who you are, he said. My question is, why are you here interviewing people for a job in a Christian school? The man said, 30 years ago, I did an evil thing. But the person I did it to, your father, responded with such grace and courage and love that it caught me and called to me and brought me to Christ. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. To God be glory, now and forever. Let's pray. Build love in our church, O God. Love not only for those who are like us and who are lovable, but give us that strong love. The kind of love that changes the world. We're going to need courage. We're going to need community. We're going to need deep conviction that this way is the way. It's the only way and truth and life. And so we form ourselves as a people built on love, revealed finally and fully in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our hymn is number 375. We sing it partly out of custom, partly out of the rhythm of our order of worship, but we also sing it as an invitation for you and me to ask God to open our eyes and open our ears. It is an opportunity for you, if you feel led, to become part of our church. If you would like to be part of what God is doing here, please come down the center aisle and let us welcome you to this church. Let's stand together, number 395.